to uh, go to Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 10, and also chapter 9, Gospel according to Mark. And reading verse uh, 27 of Mark 10. But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And then in chapter 9, excuse me, of Mark, verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I would never advocate uh, taking scriptures out of context. Somebody said that if you take a scripture out of context, if you take a text out of context, it becomes a pretext. In other words, you can make it do whatever you want. You can fit it into whatever theology you may have. And so it's not something I would ordinarily advocate. The context of Mark 10:27 is Uh, Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler and how that he challenged him to give everything away and to come follow follow him. You know how the rich young ruler, when he heard that, he declined the offer and went back. And then Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were astonished at that. He said, who then can enter? And that's when he said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So very obviously then the context of what he said in verse 27 was relating to salvation and relating to service. However, I believe that what he said is also a principle that can be used in other contexts as well. Because there are many things that are impossible with men, but whenever we enter just God, then they become possible. Can you say amen to that? And we saw there in Mark chapter 9, that one verse that we read, how that uh, this father, he had a little boy who was demon-possessed, and he invited the disciples to help, and they couldn't help. And so he came to Jesus, and Jesus asked some questions, and then he... uh, said to him, the man said to him, if you have compassion, you can do anything. If you have compassion, help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so I think that if we could put those two scriptures together, I think it would be permissible to do that because of the principle that's involved. Then I think it could read this way, with men it is impossible, but not with God, For with God all things are possible to him who believes. Now, if we were to read, which we won't, uh, Mark chapter 5, you'd see the story of the woman with the issue of blood. 
and how that for 12 long years that she had spent all that she had going to many physicians. And no doubt she tried all of the top doctors in town. No doubt, I'm sure, that she tried alternative medicines. She did everything possible that she could think of in order to be well. But rather than getting any better, the Bible says she grew worse. So she was at the place where, as far as she was concerned, it was impossible that man couldn't do anything. As far as man was concerned, it was impossible. But we know the story how when she heard of Jesus, she went behind in the crowd. She said, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. And as she touched the hem of his garment, truly she was made whole. Because even though with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible to him who believes. And then if we were to read again in Mark chapter 5 about the story of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, who came to Jesus and said, My little daughter is dying. She's at the very point of death. Will you come and heal her? And Jesus said, okay. And as they went, that's where the little woman with the issue of blood, where they, that happening occurred. And that took up some time. And by the time they got to Jairus' house, do you remember what happened? How they came out of the house and they met him and they said, do not trouble the master any further. The child is dead. That's about as impossible as you could ever get, isn't it? There is nothing that any Man can do. The child is dead. It's a hopeless case. There is no point in pursuing this. Don't even bother asking Jesus to get involved because the child is dead. And what did Jesus do? He looked at the man, saw the terror on his face, and he said, Do not be afraid. Only believe. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Do not be afraid, only believe. Luke chapter 13, there's a story of the woman who was bowed over for 18 years. She was bent in two. Whether it was a curvature of the spine or something else that occurred in her life, we're not sure. What we are sure of, because Jesus said it was, that Satan has bound this woman low these 18 years. So somewhere at the back of her infirmity, we know that the enemy of her soul had been at work. And for 18 years, she could in no wise lift herself up. And no doubt it doesn't say, but I'm quite sure that she tried everything was in her, her power to, in order to be healed and to be well. No doubt she had many people look at her and talk to her about it and make all kinds of suggestions. But nothing, nothing was able to make that woman straight. It wasn't possible. For with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible to him who believes. And how Jesus then in the synagogue touched that woman and immediately, immediately she was made straight and she stood up. It's amazing the miracles and the healings that Christ 
bestowed in his day that were for the most part, and for most of them even today, would have been impossible with man. Blind receiving their sight, deaf hearing, cripples walking, issues of blood healed, useless arms and hands restored whole, lepers cleansed, devils cast out, even the very dead raised. With men, the things that were impossible were possible with God. Some of these illnesses were long-standing, 12 years, 18 years. And the man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 long, harrowing, debilitating years. Imagine having to be lifted and carried to a pool every single day of your life for 38 years. And for 38 years, every single day, going back home again, no better and maybe be worse than the day before. Impossible with man. Some of these illnesses, infirmities, diseases were purely physical. Result of the fallen race that we live in. Some were demonic. Directly the result of devils. Jesus even said, Mark 9, about that young boy. How long has this been happening? How long has it been throwing me into the fire and so forth? It says, from a child. Jesus, at one point, he healed a deaf mute. He commanded that spirit to come out. The spirit come out and the man could hear and he could speak again. But then there was another case where there was a deaf mute and he didn't do that. He spat and he touched his tongue. That's all he did. And the man was immediately healed. So some was physical. Some was demonic. Some of the results even of a sinful life. Going back to the man at the pool. He lay for 38 years. And Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And he walked. You remember how there was a whole big furore among the religious crowd. And they demanded of him, who did this? He says, I don't know. This was on the Sabbath. He says, I don't know, but... The man who did it said, take up your bed and walk. That's all I know, and I'm walking. Thank you very much. And Jesus, later that day, he met the same man in the temple because it says there was a multitude there, and Jesus melted away into the background. He knew there was going to be a whole big Ferrari about it, so he just melted into the background. But later that day, he met the man in the temple. You know what he said to him? He said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Strongly implying that whatever lifestyle he had, whatever sins he was committing, contributed greatly to his physical condition. And so there's a variety of reasons for illnesses, infirmities, and diseases. 
But irregardless of how and when and why these infirmities and illnesses came upon men, and even though they were impossible with men to deal with, yet not with God, for with God all things are possible to him who believes. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, towards the end, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, obviously, this is part of the Great Commission, and obviously it's part of our remit also. But it's that last bit that I would like to examine in a little bit more detail. They, that's us, shall lay hands on the sick, and they, that's the sick, shall recover. We're very familiar with that statement, aren't we? The word sick here is arostos, A-R-R-O-U-S-T-O-S. Comes from another word, aronomi. Aronomi. Now, aronomi, without the A, changes it completely. Ronomi, without the A, means to be in good health, to be well, to be strong. But when the A is put in front of it, it means the opposite. The A is like none. It's like somebody is a theist, they believe in God, and a theist, atheist, atheist, is a non-believer in God. It's the opposite. So, aronomi, with the end in front of it, means bad health, weakly, frail, somebody who's very sick, somebody so weakened that they have become critically ill. And this is this, where this word arostos, or arostos, translated sick, comes from. In Matthew 14, 14, you don't need to turn to it, but Matthew 14, 14, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Mark 6, 5, now when he could do now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. Mark 6, 13. And so they, the twelve, that is, went out and preached that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. In all these instances, the word sick is arostos. And it means serious 
illnesses, diseases, infirmities that would make people invalids. All the things, in other words, that are impossible with man, but not with God, for with God all things are possible to him who believes. And then Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, it's a different word that's used for sick here, interestingly. The word is asthaneo. Asthaneo. And that means a range of sickness. It's talking here about a wider range of sicknesses, not narrowing it down in any way, covering all kinds. That's why it says various diseases. So, in other words, any kind of disease you could possibly think of, without any exception, the worst kinds, the terminal kinds, the kinds that are fatal. He healed them all. Now, understand here we're not talking about toothache or dandruff or man flu. <laughs> or it's going to go away at some point or other, or if it doesn't, it's not going to do you a terrible lot of harm. We're talking here about illnesses, infirmities, and diseases, and sicknesses that are debilitating, that will absolutely change your way of life, that may even bring death to you. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. W. Vine says that they shall means to have or to possess, but it also means to amend. Amend. Which would imply that not every healing is instantaneous. That there are occasions when it's a process, where it begins and it's a process into full health. Remember Jesus Touched the blind man, he says, what do you see? He says, I see men as trees walking, and he needed the second touch. Now, granted, there wasn't much time between the first touch and the second touch. But the point was he needed the second touch. First touch didn't do it, but the second touch did. Why am I saying this today? Well, I, I have been exercised and challenged this week in my times of prayer, in my Bible readings, and my thinking. And before this service is over, we'll be challenged some more. I'll be challenged and you'll be challenged. And you're going to hear a lovely testimony that just happened just very, very recently. Somebody in the congregation about a relative. These signs shall follow those who believe in my name. Now, even the very most casual reader of the book of Acts will notice 
almost immediately the tremendous emphasis that the, those early disciples, the early church, placed upon the name of Jesus. They take every opportunity to mention his name and the power in his name. The book of Acts is simply a, a continuation of the ministry of Jesus only through the church, only through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is literally a continuation of the ministry of Christ by the Holy Spirit through ordinary men and women just like us. Because it wasn't just the disciples, it wasn't just the apostles. Let me show that in Acts chapter 2. Peter on the day of Pentecost remember how all those that dwelt in Jerusalem they were there for the great feast and whenever they heard and saw what was happening in the upper room they all rushed there the whole city was in an uproar about it and how that Peter comes out in verse 14 he stands up with the eleven and he begins to talk to that vast crowd in verse 13 it says others were mocking and said they're full of new wine they're drunk verse 14 but Peter standing up with the eleven <coughs> raised his voice and said to them men of Judea all you who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see vision your old men shall dream dreams and on my maidservants and on my my men servants on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved now notice that Peter immediately in his very first sermon, right at the very beginning of it, he's reminding them about Jesus. Because if Jesus is dead and he's not resurrected and he's not alive, why call upon him to be saved? What would be the point? And this is the point he's going to be making. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up 
having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, for you have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Did you notice how that Peter how that after he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his very first sermon he ever preached, the Scriptures are just rolling out of him. It's as if the Holy Spirit is just illuminating his mind and his heart to the Scriptures, to the, to the, the Old Testament Scriptures that speak about Christ. I mean, it's just speaking, just, it's just flowing out of him. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with you unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of, the, of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ." And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would you be baptized in the name of a dead man? Wouldn't make sense, sure, would it? And Peter's making sure they know he's not a dead man. He's a living man. He's the resurrected living Christ, the Lord of glory. And he's letting them know that in no uncertain terms, that they whom they put to death is no longer dead, but he is alive, and alive forevermore, and lives in the power of an endless life, Hebrews says. Notice how these men were changed by the Holy Spirit. Notice how those people saw the change in these men. Their leader was arrested and beaten and tried, falsely accused, put on a cross, crucified, dead, put in a tomb. They all knew that. They all saw that. That was all local knowledge. Not a one of them didn't know that. And here are his followers who are taking a massive risk, who could have the same fate, who could also be falsely tried and accused and whipped and beaten and crucified. But they're not frightened anymore. They're not hiding away anymore. They haven't scattered to the four winds the day, why they did when Jesus was being tried. Here they are, bold as brass, standing there in front of everybody, letting all Jerusalem know something happened to these men. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what are they doing? They're proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come into chapter 3. 
Multitudes are saved, following Christ, continuing daily with one accord in a temple, breaking bread from house to house. It says towards the end of chapter 2. But you come into chapter 3, and here's this great first miracle in the book of Acts. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain, lame, certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. I wonder how many times Peter and John walked past that man. I think this is their first visit to the temple. I don't think so. I wonder if even Jesus ever walked past him. You think this is this man's first day at the temple too? don't think so. But this particular day, at this particular moment, something happened. Something was different. You're seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Jesus, Peter invokes the name of Jesus. And when he invokes the name of Jesus, something happens. And all were amazed. And then we read on, now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and kill the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And if you read on, you will see in the next chapter how they, when they were arrested and how they were asked in verse 7, when they had set them in the midst, they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people of elders of Israel, 
If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by the, you builders, which has become chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And then they said to him in verse 17, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them from now on that they speak to no man in this name. So they called and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, see how many times the name's mentioned. And so then when they let them go, verse 27, Peter speaking, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. See what's happening here. If Jesus was dead and no more alive, there would be no point in praying in his name, there'd be no point in invoking his name, there'd be no point in getting baptized in his name, you certainly couldn't get saved in his name. But if he is alive, if he is alive, and this is what Peter's driving at, if he is alive, then he's still doing the same things as he did in Mark 5 and Matthew 8 and Mark 9 and many other scriptures in the Gospels if he is alive. <laughs> Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. Can we dare to believe today? Can we dare to believe that if we call upon that name, of the one who is alive, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, can we dare to believe that he will do what he did in the Gospels, that he's still alive and he's still doing what he did when he was on earth? The only difference is he's doing it through us in his name. Can we dare to believe that? Amen. Well, that's what we're going to dare to believe today that today, this moment, this hour, that we are going to speak the name of Jesus, the one who is alive forevermore, and we're going to trust and believe that he will today begin to do what he did when he was in this earth, only in us and through us and for us, for his glory. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, I'm believing that today. In fact, they're going to believe it more than I've ever believed it. Because we're not believing enough. Sure we're not. 
We're not trusting enough. We're not believing enough. We're praying, but are we believing enough? Do we believe in this name? Peter believed in the name. He wasn't there physically with him, but he might as well have been. He might as well have been. You know, whenever Jesus sent the 70 out, they came back with great reports, but Jesus was still there. But he's no longer there. He's gone back to the glory, and they know that. But he sent them out and told them, lay hands on the sick, believe in my name. I don't have to be there. Just believe in my name. That will be as if I'm there. And that's what Peter, that's what they believed. Pam, give me that microphone there, clever. Pam, come on up. Now, because Pam, you're very small, you're going to have to stand up on the stage here. Now, you know, you, you could come to the prayer meeting, you can sit and pray and you know, the, the, all of us has prayed prayers that are perfunctory. We just, we, we know we have to pray those types of prayers. So we pray those types of prayers. That's what's what expected of us all, isn't it? But then there's times you pray the prayers and you really believe what you're praying. If you ever prayed and you haven't really believed, you're not even thinking about what you're praying, you just pray it. Somebody says, remember me in prayer, and you say, right, I'll remember you in prayer. And then three o'clock, oh, you know, I said I remember that. And so, okay, Lord, just bless. And we just say it, then it's perfunctory. Of course, you wouldn't do that. You're too spiritual to do things like that, aren't you? You're super spiritual. But then there's times when you really pray and you really believe at that moment that God's going to do something. You tell us your story. Uh, now, they can't see you there, so you just turn it there. There she is. My brother, who is 70, Put that a wee bit. went in for a hernia operation couple of weeks ago and uh, I was quite concerned about him because his, when he was here a few weeks previous to that his wife said that he had started to get quite confused and his memory wasn't good. So we came Thursday, Thursday night was the night that he was there 11 hours ahead of us so Thursday night was the night that he was to have the operation or was going to be into their day and I asked for everyone at the prayer meeting to agree with me in prayer that he would come through the operation well. And I woke up the next morning expecting a text from my sister-in-law to say that he was back in the ward and everything was okay and there was no text and I started to think, oh boy, am I glad that I got prayer for him last night because he really should have been back up in the ward. To cut a very long story short, they were calling him the wrong name. They weren't getting him back out of the anaesthetic properly because they were giving him a name that was on his medical card, his Medicard as they say in Australia, but they weren't, it wasn't his name, which is Ian. We couldn't get him round properly and his wife was very concerned and she didn't get to see him all day and she finally went at night time and she had told two different people in the hospital the day before that he had this confusion and so therefore he should have had an, a different anaesthetic. It wasn't recorded anywhere so there was a lot of anger and frustration about that because he could have had a different anaesthetic and he could have had a lot more success coming out of the anaesthetic. He had a couple of days growth on him, so they said he was a drinker. So they, hadn't, they weren't treating him as if he was, to me, a normal human being. Um, the long and the short of it was, his wife was determined that they were going to get to the bottom of this, so she wanted further investigation. And an MRI of his brain was ordered, and various blood tests, and everything else that, that was needed, because she was convinced that he had Alzheimer's. 
and I was extremely angry about that because I was convinced that he didn't have Alzheimer's, that how dare anybody try and say that about my brother, absolutely nothing wrong with him. Um, but in the middle of that, like, like David was saying, the scriptures about, you know, don't be afraid, only believe. I've been singing that wee chorus, only believe, you know, all things are possible. And that actually I've been singing that this past couple of weeks because fear will stop you believing. Mm -hmm. And if Jesus says, only believe, as David says, it sounds awfully simple, but it's not that simple when you're in the middle of it. So I got a text from my sister-in-law two days ago saying the MRI was completely clear, his brain's normal, uh, his blood tests were normal, and his tests that he had for his memory were all good. And her parting line was, I don't understand. So I texted her back and said that God answered prayer and explained to her. And it was Raymond and actually, Raymond and Sally both prayed specifically for him. And one stage Raymond had prayed for the confusion and for his memory to be sorted. So praise God it is. I don't know what it is about laying on of hands because when you read through the Gospels, it, it, it didn't always happen that way. Sometimes Jesus just spoke the word. He didn't even have to be there. But lots of occasions, most times, when it was possible, hands were laid on. And it's the same when you go into the... When you read the... Uh, but the apostles. And sometimes there was anointing with oil. The book of James talks about if anyone is sick, call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith. And so there's, there's various ways, there's different ways. But this morning, I, I think that what we want to do is lay hands on. And trust and believe that when we do, at that moment, from that moment, from that moment, I was speaking at a church uh, two or three Friday nights ago. It's way up in the country. And the pastor was telling me that his wife's sister uh, had, had, had taken cancer, was fully diagnosed, and uh, was set for treatment. And... Uh, and he says, as soon as I heard that, I, I invited all of the family to get together for special times of prayer in the home, uh, just for special times of prayer. And we began to pray and trust God and believe. And, and we would spend a half a night in her home with her praying and laying hands on. And he said that uh, at one point, he said, the lady had written down the day she was diagnosed with cancer. She had written that down in her diary. So this is several weeks later, and they're praying and they're believing. And God spoke to her, just right out of the blue, and said, why don't you write down the day you're going to get healed? <laughs> and he says it shocked her because she wasn't thinking specifically. Why did you write down the day that I'm going to heal you? And so she wrote down the 10th 
of January. That's what came to her. She wrote that down. She didn't tell anybody. She just wrote that down, kept it in her diary. He said that on the 9th of January, that evening, he says, we had another session of prayer in the home. We all gathered around and we prayed and we laid hands on and we anointed with oil and we prayed and we believed God together. And he says, that next morning, suddenly everything changed. Everything began to change. And her whole medical condition has completely turned around. And when she looked at her diary, lo and behold, it was on the 10th. <laughs> it was on the 10th. So God can still do it, can't he? if we can believe him. So I don't know what it is about today, but I just felt all week, all week. And then Brother John up there in the sound, he sent a wee text. I'm sure he sent it to two or three people, but he sent a wee text to me this week. And that wee text further encouraged me for this message this morning, John. So that's what we're going to do. Not just me, but Clifford here and others well, lay hands. My, my daughter was going through a, a, a very difficult period. The last time she was over, some of you saw her sitting crying there in that seat. It was the time Brother Paul was here, Paul James. And Clifford brought her up. She was standing there, and Clifford began to pray for her. I don't know if she's told you this yet or not, but I'm going to tell you. I'm not even going to tell you publicly. And Clifford began to hold her and pray for her. And she said to me, and I says, Dad, from the moment Clifford prayed for me, she says, something changed. Something happened. She says, something in that moment changed. Now she'd been prayed for by Paul. She'd prayed for others. I'd pray for everybody. But she says, that moment when Clifford put his arms around and prayed for me, something broke, something changed. And I can tell you from that moment, she's been different. Something left it. Something changed. Something was broken. And that's what God does. So can we believe this morning? Can we believe together that from this moment that what you're believing for, what you're trusting God for is going to happen in Jesus' name? That his name is still the same today and it'll always be the same and it's not going to change. And what he did then, he can do today for us. Amen. All right? So here's what we'll do little space at the front. I want you to come in a moment for whatever need you feel you have. And I may not even ask you what your need is. And we're going to pray and we're going to lay hands on. And we're going to believe at that moment that Christ, that the Lord Jesus is going to touch you and is going to bring about that healing, that breakthrough, that deliverance, whatever it is we need from him today. And we're going to believe together today. Amen. All right. With men it isn't possible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible to him who believes. So we're going to believe him today, that his word is still the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. All right. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are alive, and you're alive forevermore that you are the unchanging changer. Lord, that nothing is impossible to him who believes. 
So Lord, together today as a people, we're going to trust you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to look to you for a breakthrough, for a miracle, for a healing touch, for whatever we need in our bodies and our minds and our souls. Lord, you've come to give us life and to give it more abundantly. You've come, Lord, to break through. You've come, Lord, to heal us. Lord, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord who heals us. We thank you, Lord, for doctors and physicians, but you are the great physician above all that man can do and cannot do. Lord, you do the impossible. And so we're going to trust and look to you today in your mighty and incomparable name, the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right? So...